I stand firmly in the fact that I'm one of the best to ever do this for the culture, for my coast, and for my city. This is the best rapper in LA podcast. 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 And I'm your host, Merce. 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 What up, though? What up, though? Live from South Central America, it is the best rapper in LA podcast. Podcast. We don't really have sponsors, but I want to thank some sponsors. The most important shout out as we start this podcast. Maybe we'll start here. Start with this one because on this microphone, this is from Logitech G. Shout out to Logitech G. Keyboard, headphones, my whole setup, cam, lights, Logitech G. I'm telling you, I will come through and give you all a code. If you want to order anything for Christmas, headphones, whatever, this is the best shit. I'm a dad. My kids try to break my shit all the time. It never breaks. You hear the podcast. You hear how it sounds. Change your setup. I recorded a lot of my new album on this setup, um, on this mic. A lot of the stuff from the EPs that have come out the past year on this Logitech G setup. So if you have a home studio or if you don't have a home studio, you just like the game or you just want something for the plane they make wireless earbuds, everything they make is the best. But uh, yeah, let's just say I really authentically endorse this equipment. Indie Local, 10 milligrams of THC. Some milligrams of CBD tastes like a beer without the alcohol. Feels like a beer without the damage to your liver. I used to sell weed illegally for many years. So to consume it legally is phenomenal. I stopped smoking weed when I was 18. As I became a parent, I found that it's fun every now and then to have a marijuana beverage. So my favorite thus far is Indie Local because it doesn't have all the sugar or some of these sodas that taste great do. But yeah, Indie Local is dope. But yeah, Indie Local is dope. That's my commercial. It's my endorsement. If you really want something sponsored or endorsed, I would do something like that. I'm just doing this because I like it. And my brother-in-law hooked me up. Man, this album... There was a lot leading up to it. And as I did the fucking homework, believe it or not, I was wrong. Aesop Rock was on Def Jux before my album came out. I guess I was in the queue, as my British folks say. I was in the queue for, for Def Jux long before my album came out. So I believe around 2001 is when I got down with L. And so yeah, I had to be down as Enters the Colossus dropped. So I, was, I remember ordering Enters the Colossus, um, stocking it in my record store in Tucson. Here's a vision. Imagine a whole globe made with precision. Continents of brown soil with green grass that complements deep seas and trees with multicolored leaves. Mountain ranges that survive through the ages. Plus show expressions of time on rock faces. Now gaze up toward the glorious sky. And somewhere around there is when I signed to Def Jux. So there was a nervous breakdown happening, Varsity Blues, um, Mercer Rules the World. And uh, yeah, somewhere around there is when I don't think I inked a deal until later. So inking the deal, I get no, before that, I am on my way to do a makeup tour in Japan. I canceled my first J Japanese tour, or not my first, but one of my, my Mercer Rules the World Japanese tour, I believe, because... I was skating with the homies and I didn't know I was in the midst of dealing with depression and anxiety. I hadn't been diagnosed yet, but so it had to be right, yeah, right before because that's why I was, I didn't plan to be in LA for Thanksgiving. I was planning to be in Japan. Japan is cold, it rains, it snows. I was being silly and skating a curb in Tucson. It's beauty, beauty about being an entrepreneur. I had someone working at the store. Me and my homeboy Roland, who I mentioned in 67 Cutlass. In the 67 Cutlass, we was riding through the desert with the... I got a story, y'all, from a bit ago. I was out in AZ, chilling with my nigga Ro, leaving Tucson. <laughs> we was rolling out, on the way to LA to kick it. We was zoning out. Couple jokey jokes. 
he and I were skating a hip or like a little curb, like the curb that's like kind of a bump in the middle, just downtown Tucson, nothing, no skates, park spot, just two over 20-year-old dudes skating the curb. Why not? Rolled my ankle, wound up on crutches. I get to the gate to go to Japan and I can't do it. Like, I, I, I don't know if anyone else struggles with anxiety. I could not do it. I literally put all my shit in the TSA shit. And I guess this is right after 9-11, so maybe that was stressing me a little bit. But I, also, Japan is very, like, a lots of places where we stay in Shibuya usually and around that area, there's lots of stairs, not a lot of elevators. Everything is cramped. I just imagine going through Narita and getting on a train and then coming out of Shibuya Station. And that's and if, for those of you who have never been to Japan, that intersection where everybody's going crazy, there's a million people walking around. They show it all the time when they show Japan. That's Shibuya Station most of the time. And being in crutches in Japan, and in Japan, I'm a, slightly on the bigger side for a human. I couldn't do it. And I just turned around. I don't like the cold. And I remember uh, when Higo, Higo, the owner of Mary Joy Proposal, his his English is still better than my Japanese. Um, so I'm not disrespecting, but it was comical because he's like, please, let's do tour in winter. I know you fuck cold, but please, let's do. And I said, yes, he knows I fuck cold. So I fuck cold. I fucked up my ankle. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I break up with a girl that I should have not, or probably should have broken up, or probably should have never started dating. But in that time and moment, I feel like I fucked up something important. Overall, I was just being a dick and apologies to that 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 human. But I feel betrayed. I have a, my own business. I got a new record. All these things. Oh, my, my Cadillac engine blew up. I just walk away from the TSA. Put back my, I put my shoes in the thing. I could see it now. I put my blue and yellow circa. I had on a, a circa matching sweatsuit, like the satin kind of sweatsuit with the matching blue shoes. I was ready to look like a rapper, be a rapper. I picked my shoes up, put them back on, and walked out of the airport. Had to go home and email the Japanese record company that I wasn't showing up. Fast forward, I, f I make up the tour. I'm headed out to Osaka, and this is the days of. You print out your itinerary, you make the flight. There's no GPS, there's no Google Translate. It's 2001, I would assume, or early 2002. Let's see when uh, Labor Days came out. Yeah, no, it had to be 2001 because Labor Days was just about to come out or out. So yeah, maybe early summer, 2001, I'm on a plane flying. And that's another reason I started, I believe I started to have a lot of anxiety because flying is nerve wracking for me and a lot of people, I believe. But I was flying a lot out of Tucson to meet the living legends or meet rhyme sayers or just for solo shows. But I was by myself because no one lived in Tucson with me and I didn't have a DJ in Tucson. So I'd be flying to meet my DJ or flying to meet my DJ is my best friend at the time. Um, Magi, he lived in in Mid-City and or West Adams, as they call it now. And we would meet at the gigs. So a lot of flying in and out of Tucson by myself. When you're flying in Tucson in the summer, the turbulence is horrible because of the difference in temperature in the air at 30,000 feet and on the ground is so severe because on the ground, it could be anywhere from 100 to 110 degrees in the air, whatever, negative, whatever. So coming down through that as my vague understanding or light understanding of the of aeronautics or flyontology, as L calls it. Shit gets bumpy. More stress. And for I was smoking cigarettes passionately at the time. So no nicotine. It's it's a rough flight. I believe at this time you could still, once the airplane entered Japanese or out of American airspace, you could go to the back of the plane. There would be rows saved for you to smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol. I think I, I I celebrated that on the Merce Rules of War or Good Music podcast. I'm headed solo to Japan. So I've flown from Tucson, most likely to LA, to catch a connecting flight to Tokyo. In Narita, I switched planes to fly to Osaka. The first was Osaka. I get on the plane from 
and I just had uh, shout out to you, Brian. I'm gonna say I love you, but like the young young man, I just we just did a, a ground wave session in Colorado, and one of the young men I mentor in Tulsa is an engineer. I encouraged him to quit his job at Whole Foods and become an engineer. So I find I I take it as my personal responsibility to make sure he stays gainfully employed whenever I can. So we did Groundways recording sessions in Colorado with a, another group of um, individuals, I'm young people I mentor, um, helping them create a, a compilation this weekend. And I brought Brandon to engineer to keep it Groundways. So from Tulsa Groundways to Colorado Groundways. But in the airport, he had to call me multiple times trying to get the shuttles. And it's confusing. It's Denver Airport's confusing. And he hasn't flown by himself as an adult ever. So this is confusing. Now imagine that when you can't read the fucking signs. So I felt Brandon's pain. I'm just giving out his name now. I felt Brandon's pain this weekend as I try to help him navigate the Denver shuttles. But feel my pain as I enter Narita and try to navigate by myself with my merch, with my bags, everything to get on this flight to Osaka. And even my first time in Japan landing in Narita was a trip. But I believe we talked about that. I get on the plane, the fucking Vast is there. I'm Vast Air Kramer, top billing. Like, at no point do they tell me, because I'm not on Def Jux, and now I can see why I'm not public front-facing on Def Jux right now. I'm on Def Jux as far as I'm concerned, as far as else concerned. He's made me the promise. But there was no announcement, so they didn't tell me. And this is email. There's no flyers online. This, imagine a days when promoters actually promoted the shows and curated the shows themselves and weren't asking you to post on your socials. That's 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 the change in the industry. That I'm not mad at, but let's just let's just like at least acknowledge it. Rates for artists didn't go up, but now I am also the promoter. I am responsible. Shout out to the promoters that actually give you funds to boost on your socials. That's nice. However, still, it's not my job to promote the show. I am not the promoter. I am the artist. But why wouldn't you promote your own show? I get it. But let me just be a fucking boomer for a second. Get off my grass, promoters. Get off my lawn. I get on the plane, Osaka. LP, Lyft, Vast, Vortal, and Aesop Rock, who I've never met, are on the fucking plane. I'm like, who the, where the fuck did y'all... It was the greatest feeling because I'm, you know, I'm lonely and fucking depressed and stressed and anxious, you know, but I'm dealing with it now. Now I'm on my meds at this point. I started my meds. I got healthy and are mentally on the right path enough to travel and make up these shows in Japan now. And then I see Ace. This just in, tail of a plane crash, typical affliction, a flimshot, change past. Harsh, but the city positive, like a haystack. Either you ever need a little gray mask, one shinner up. Wait, maybe change back. And man, I'm like, okay, who's this tall white guy? And we ended up having to sit next to each other and we just started talking. We had fun, but we bonded. That you know, I consider um, Ace one of, one of my good rap friends beyond the actual music. Um, it was fun. I can still see like running around the hotels, smoking cigarette. Everybody smokes cigarettes. I think the whole, except for Lyft. Lyft, <laughs> Mr. Lyft does not care for cigarette smoke. Yo, dogs. Yo, could you? Uh, yo, my brother. He's so nice. Yo, my brother. <laughs> yo, my allergies. Dogs, dogs. Could you just, yo, could you move over there? I don't want to be, I'm not. I'm just asking, you know, help a brother out. My my voice, you know, this is my money. This is my future. That's how Lyft would say it. Like, please don't fucking smoke cigarettes around me, bro. So me, Vast, Vordo, just kids, especially like Vast and Vordo, like from Harlem, me from, you know, from mid-city, from inner, inner city black youth having a ball fucking in Japan rapping for thousands of people. Who the fucking thought it? Without glorifying what a hot term now, genocide though, um, without glorifying crack and violence. Uh, and it was beautiful. L, you know, brought that together. What a great leader. Thank you. Uh, I remember being on the bullet train and that's when me and A started talking about depression because maybe he saw me take my pills or he's, I think he was on his way. He was, I think, hitting or just getting out of the bottom that I had just been in. I believe his had something to do with the breakup and 9-11. I don't really want to speak too much into that. But uh, we really bonded on the bullet train from Osaka to Tokyo. 
And that became one of my good friends because he understood what I was going through a bit. And I think I understood what he was going through. And I was able to say, yeah, like, man, take the pills, blah, blah. And years later, or a year later, we would end up doing a song called Happy Pills. But that's where Happy Pills on this album is rooted in that meeting. What's on your mind, Big Murph? Shit, the end of the world with the wife at home. I pretend it's my girl. Did you take your meds today? 20 milligrams worth, but I'm still so amped. I could kill a damn verse. What's on your mind, Ace Rock? Shit, the roaches in the kitchen that I scream on every day, but for some reason they don't listen. Did you take your meds today? Yeah, 20 milligrams worth, but I'm feeling so amped. I could kill a damn verse. I was cooling at the park with a couple of other jokies. I ran a made a um, which brings us to Liff and I doing a song called Sneak Preview on Definitive Jokes Volume 2, which came out in 2002. Now my album will manifest something between a new Harry Potter book and Monster Cody's autobiography, verbal photography. Frame by frame, I present this game A hip-hop odyssey of Kevin Smith proportions The death dogma I now drop is just a portion Of what we have in store, competition now Over and out like 10-4 The heavy metal rapper And we did it at High Street Studios Shout out to Matt Kelly, but I don't think He's the main engineer, did a lot of Hyrule stuff A lot of the early Hyrule I think the f whole Full Circle album and I don't know how much of the other stuff was done at High Street Studios in San Francisco, which is weird because it's an Oakland thing, Oakland crew hieroglyphics, but the studio where Mystic Journeyman will record, and at the times I would be allowed to get on a Mystic Journeyman song, and they recorded at High Street was amazing. It was the first real, like, studio or rap classics and other classic records that had been made. Hyde Street is an amazing just energy. So High Street Studios, to be able to go there was a privilege, and L for my first release on Def Jux, which is one song on Def Jux Volume, Definitive Jux Volume 2, was recorded at High Street. He booked High Street for us. Yeah, walking into High Street for my own session was amazing. We're going to go on a side note here. I remember getting a fax and signing my deal for Def Jux for $5,000. The deal memo was faxed over. I faxed back my signature and we recorded the song called Sneak Preview. My album will manifest. We used OC sample, who I later get to meet and uh, do a song with and uh, Love and Rockets Volume 1. Grown man talk, head up high with pride is how I walk, take notes from the source. And it's a Santa log and the two inch reels. You had to show prove the skill to cop you a deal. Co-serves was void, shortcuts didn't exist. You had to go hard in the paint to score. Wish I could have known that. Never would have saw that coming. Signed the deal, did this song, the verse is just long, there's no hook. It's just people getting to hear my voice over LP's production. LP and I do have a song on Tags of the Times, Volume 2, I believe it is. And it's A Day Like No Other, where we got to freestyle over the Day Like No Other beat on the Saya and Yeshua album. Born in belly, three ring circus to watch our worthless motherfuckers battle it out. And I'm on top like fun crushing, microphone bum rushing, on the top of the dome and bad touching. Break it down, mercy. Hey, it goes. M U R to the S. Microphone used relentlessly in slaughter from the West. Just got off the plane. Don't know how I can maintain brain on sleep mode. So I peep those foes ducking in the trenches, pushing them up like bitches weights. I think that was another one of our bonding experiences. Uh, and me getting to rap with him, but not over his beat. So rapping over an LP beat. The first time a sneak preview and I could hear how excited I was and I'm laying on the snare heavy and uh, using the same uh, enjoyed by the many, confined to the many, funds of the few. My talent is often ignored by the many, enjoyed by plenty that keep me from eating top ramen pinching pennies. Times I wonder if there's anybody worth fighting for. This one night on tour, I ran into the same like uh, cadences I was using. I was learning cadence I don't know if I ever mastered it, but learning it. So trying to change up the flow. Reference, uh, Deaf Dogma, Troy McClure. Hello, 
I'm Troy McClure. Uh, Def Dogma, because I mentioned uh, uh, Kevin Smith proportions, replicant to Phoenix. Um, Harry Potter, cannibal ox in the Phoenix metaphor, so go ahead and scream it. Harry Potter, Kevin Smith, Troy McClure, like all these things are nerd shit that I would talk to L or Ace or, or Liff about, like other hip-hop heads into View Askew and uh, Harry Potter, some of them. Not not many of them. Harry Potter was a stretch for most rappers, even the backpack ones, but I, I love it. You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? Being a fan of JK didn't age well though, right? So Day Like No Other, back to Tax of the Times 2, we got to rap over that. But that was all off the head. And I think that kind of also solidified me as a, a starting member, a founding member of, or not, I don't know if we can consider, consider founding, but OG Def Jux, because I think I did well. And we have fun in the studio, more importantly. Do the song. The song later, I find out, was engineered by Ghazi, the founder, I believe CEO, president, or whatever, of Empire Distribution, the largest rap distribution label in the world. Everybody you meet is somebody. Try to be respectful. That's that's the thing. This dude who we're in the in the B room at Hyde Street recording my vocals will go on to be the largest digital distributor of rap music on the planet Earth. You never know who's going where. I guess like he reminded me and I was like, "Man, that's crazy." He's like, "Yeah, I recorded. That's my first time on Def Jux Wax, my first time on an LP beat, my first time meeting Gazi who he was the guy that through the years as I signed a major label, he would be in all the sessions. Me and Snoop would be in a room or me and Corrupt or where DJ Quick, whoever. And it'd be like, he would come in like, hey, Terrace Martin. I remember specifically, I think it was me, Terrace, and maybe Quick, I don't know. Hey, y'all, um, have you guys thought about your digital catalog? This is before like Spotify is really popping off. And he's like, I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Well, since you own your masters, you know, I'd like to just distribute it and make sure it gets all on streaming platforms. Huh? What? Whatever, weirdo. Like, you know, like, okay, Gazi with your digital streaming music that I'm trying to sell these CDs, bro. <laughs> these records. He was a visionary, bro. Way, I can't even tell you how early on I remember Gazi coming in his sessions and gangster rappers, everybody, like, especially in the Bay, because being from the Bay, there was a lot of people who he could help because we owned our master. So he had the rights he could get the right, he had the, he would have, if we signed over, he'd have the right. And he was given very favorable splits. He just wanted, I think he was trying to gather people to help him give proof of concept for this new distribution model. Um, so shout out to Ghazi, man. And um, I hope I wasn't a dick. I don't think I was. But he's always been kind and willing to help and uh, respectful to me. So shout out to Empire and Amen, um, Nima. Um, just a lot of struggle, like, you know, his, 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 his roots and his, his people, um, and that area of the earth in Palestine, Israel, there's a lot of suffering going on. And uh, it's hard for me to speak on, like I said, I'm closing my eyes and seeing my friends and people, and this is a lot of suffering um, right now. And uh, yeah, a lot of people are speaking out, and I feel like people in our genre have consistently pushed for world peace on a grander scale for humanity. That's why we make the music we make and do the things that we do. I'm going to leave it at that. Moving on respectfully. Hey, y'all, this is going to be a quick one, but I want to thank some sponsors. Arrow Lodge Brewing in Covina in downtown Los Angeles is a brewery based in Southern California. Vic, the owner, is a good friend, nice family man. I believe was once the mayor of Covina. Has allowed me to host multiple uh, hip-hop events at his venue. We've done a beer together. Goats, um, beer. Let me do like a milkshake, vegan stout. It was dope or something like that. It was tasty. Lots of hip-hop inspired beers, lots of sports games. If you want to check out the Covina location or the downtown LA location, just my friends that are doing dope shit, making great beer. Nick and Vic, Nick brews the beer. When it's vegan, I love it. They can even get me to like IPAs. Every beer they make is amazing. Plus, you can go take a picture with me on the wall. I have a mural there. And I love them for that. So shout out to Vic and Arrow Lodge Brewing. Follow them on Instagram. 
know shit about coffee, but my homie Propaganda does. He's a um, Los Angeles, Southern California native, wonderful, not so young black man, <laughs> dope lyricist, author, but he knows his fucking coffee better, more than he knows about rap, being a dad or a father, husband, Christian. He knows more about coffee than the Bible, probably, I don't know. But his Terraform cold brew is amazing, especially when he told me that I could actually mix it with things because I'm not a like OG coffee head. I still get heartburn. Uh, but using it as a mixer in the fridge has been tremendous. Oh, I have four kids, so I don't always have time to grind and brew my coffee the way I like. So on those days, I grab a cold Terraform or when I'm hosting a stage at Thought Fest all day, my man comes through and just delivers one straight to my hand. But I have bought them online and just have them shipped to the house so that I can have some cold on deck for when shit's not coffee-friendly around the house and I still need my caffeine. Shout out to Terraform, cold brew, T-E-R-R-A-F-O-R-M, cold brew. Google it, it'll come up. And uh, the book is dope as well. You should cop that. Doing a day like no other, somehow mixing or recording part of that record, we recorded it that we did record it in New York, and I ended up staying with the producer of that track, who was John Adler, and just random. I don't know what John's doing these days, but uh, in his parents' basement in some part of Brooklyn, where he went to a place called Spumoni Gardens. It's like I walked into the Sopranos or some just traditionally Italian neighborhood borough i don't want to call it a ghetto but hood and like just i be i feel like i was the only black person out there but spumoni gardens and getting spumoni and uh before i knew i was black toast intolerant uh, and just having an authentic experience like when we traveled back then i'll continue to stress the importance of traveling not like a rapper not staying in a hotel we stayed with people in japan slept on floors in germany I'm sleeping on floors in Brooklyn. He's like, you want to go to Spumoni Gardens after we record your verse? Fuck yeah, I want to go to Spumoni. And I'm just stoked to be hanging with the guy that produced one of my favorite albums at the time. And yeah, we'll go to Spumoni Gardens. We'll go wherever, man. I was just a kid going wherever the fuck, doing whatever the fuck. And I ended up here. Recording with Lyft, who I love front on this. We talked about last week. Recording over LP beats. Loved his, like... All these things is just for the love. My my advance was $5,000, y'all, for the album. And we'll get into the album soon enough. We can talk about leading up to the album, um, me not wanting to do press. I didn't want to do interviews. And I've said it throughout my career, I don't care for interviews. Obviously not that I don't like to talk. I just feel I don't answer questions well. But... LP was like, to, in order to help me sell records, you got to do this to make this $5,000 advance back. But that was the thing is, L, you know, that at that time, the staff was Amici, and I believe just Jesse, Jesse Ferguson, who now owns a brewery in something Brooklyn. They do the Run the Jewels beer and, and a lot of other beers. But uh, he was a producer at the time as well. NASA was mixing all the stuff. Yeah, so I had to do interviews in order to to, to pay for this um, setup to, you know, there's an office in New York, you know, hang out at the Def Jux office where I first met RJ and we just walked around New York with RJ D2 to, to me is one of the greatest producer, hip hop producers of all time. We're just walking around, hanging out. Got to meet Camus and Metro, and they hooked me and laced me with the homegirl I was giving out free pro kids at the time. And introduced me, them and L introduced me to Max Fish, hanging out with L. Like I've been, like there's a there's there's the, I don't know how to say this respectfully, so be mad. There are white rappers in there, and from a certain era in certain areas, and there are white rappers who grew up around black people. LP is one of the white rappers that grew up around black people. I remember around that time going to the club with LP where a lot of people in our genre didn't listen to commercial music. I forget which Mob Deep song. Maybe it was Quiet Storm. I don't remember what year that came out, but there was a new... Maybe it was uh, You Need to Give It Up. Y'all need to give it up. We don't give a fuck. 
what y'all niggas want, cause life is mine. Y'all need to get it up, cause we don't give a fuck. And we are dancing in the club, like a, a basically an all-black club. LP is one of the few, if not the only white guy in there, in New York. And like, we're, you know, whatever, freaking two-stepping with the girl, like high-fiving each other, dancing, and you know, just it's just, if you've ever been like to the, the tunnel, it was a whole nother story I can tell. That might be a separate episode, the tunnel. But I sought out these New York clubs that I heard about on mixtapes and things and just went by myself. But it'd be a gang of black people there. <laughs> like, I want to use the other word, but I'm not. It's a gang of us in there doing hood rat things with our hood rat friends. It was lit. As the children say, it was fun as fuck, but LP would stick out. But he's dancing on beat, dancing with black girls, brown girls. We're just in there having a good time. I've been in clubs with other white rappers like that, and they get nervous. L was not one of those people. You can go on and tell another tour story. We've thrown down together in fights. Like, I really love and respect that man. But yeah, we were, we as the kids say, we were outside. We were at Max Fish. Shout out to Shannon. Shannon, we were, we were everywhere, man. We were running around, smoking cigarettes, drinking liquor, hollering at girls, having fist fights, all shit. I remember, uh, I think Elle lived like on the edge of Carroll Gardens in Brooklyn. And I didn't understand like walking across, I think it's the BQE, the little bridge you walk across, that puts you into a neighborhood, bro. I would go buy slices of pizza there and the Italian dude would not touch my money or my pizza or speak to me. You're going to pay now, you're going to pay on layaway. How much? It's a dollar fifty. Yo, stop! Put some cheese in that motherfucker, man. Extra cheese is two dollars. Two dollars? Yeah, two dollars. Hey, you can forget that shit. Damn, say you cheap, man. Hey, hey, Sal, how come we got the brothers on the wall here? You want brothers on the wall? Get your own place. You can do what you want to do. And I was like, Are you? The one time I went there, I, I, maybe twice, I was like, and then Vast or somebody was like, Yeah, we got it. You go the other way. You don't go over the bridge. This is the year two thousand, buddy. Two thousand one, two thousand two. It's still like, hey, fuck you, Moolies, or whatever the fuck they say. I was in my, I was hot under the collar, to say the least. I was like, bro, like, you know, the, the tradition, I, like, that was done to me in the hood growing up by, like, Korean liquor store, some Korean, like, or Asian, I would assume Korean. But, you know, like, the not touching your money, not get putting your change in your hand, put it on, like, like, looked through the pizza on the table, looked at it, looked for me, like, did his eyes, licked his eyes to the side, like, for me to put the money down. I put the money down. He picked it up. He put the change down. And then I took my pizza and my change. We never once would touch things at the same time or touch hands or exchange words. But this is what you get when you experience life. You don't get some... Later on, I will get a label to put me up in New York, and we'll talk about that. But this is how you build lifelong friendships. This is how you make, as they're saying now core memories. These things are so vivid and it doesn't involve hanging out in a closed session with security guards. And it, that's just so stale to me. And I guess the, I, I don't feel that music. Like when I hear L shit, I hear outside. I hear Brooklyn. I don't hear the studio. I don't hear the club. Like we went to the club, but that we knew that that's not where we made, me, made music for. We were artists. Uh, we weren't making widgets or products. We were artists transmuting or translating our experiences in this crude human form in the third dimension into an audible form of art. And me and L, uh, he always, I make, you know, brings this up. We bonded because I was somebody who actually read, or kind of read, I believe I read Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pynchon. And uh, just being a weird, smart kid, I came across that not knowing that my 12th grade AP English class, which I think I got a D in, possibly a F, would link me to who is one of now one of the most famous popular producer rappers on the earth, but one of my best rap friends bonding through this homework assignment that I got. And it had nothing to do with the grade. Like I said, I got a DRF in the class, but the fact that I read it was able, you know, there's nothing wrong with school. It's to me the submission part. If you excel naturally at it, cool, but don't let, I tell my children, I don't let, a, I don't give a fuck about your letter grade. Did you try it? Did you? engage with the information and and the and the lessons presented to you did you engage with them um, to the best of your ability did you give yourself fully to the experience then fuck it and it paid off for me i've never had to show anyone my high school diploma and a lot of people i know who have corporate jobs have never had to show it or their college degree for that matter 
Are you engaging with the material? Is it changing your perception of reality? Is it shaping you into a better person? Are you evolving through the art or the, the lessons you encounter? To me, these are the important things. L played video games. I didn't play PlayStation as a rule. PlayStation. <laughs> Lyft played PlayStation. I, I called him. I told him he was a seller because it was the Malcolm Xbox. I told him Xbox was black because the original one was black and it was named after Malcolm X and that's why I bought it. And vaguely somewhere, someone told me once outside of Project Blow that uh, Bill Gates has a collection of hip-hop memorabilia, including some, like, X-Clan. Of course, some Run DMC stuff, but some X-Clan shit as well. So that made me a, a, a fan of Microsoft at the time, okay? At the time, when before we knew everything about everyone. But maybe some of you knew it was evil, but I enjoyed playing Max Payne and the big fat controller. It was the next logical step after Dreamcast. I was not yet ready to give in to Sony. I never fully have. I game on PC now, but that was a big divide. I loved episode one. LP hates episode one. Later on in life, I would invite LP to the premiere of episode seven on Hollywood Boulevard at the Man Chinese with Harrison Ford and George Lucas in the, th in the same theater. And he was so furious. <laughs> Shout out to my homeboy, Dustin, who hooked up the tickets. Uh, it was me and Ninth Wonder. It was supposed to be him and Killer Mike, but Mike couldn't make it. I wanted to get that picture of Run the Jewels and Mercer Ninth Wonder. But LP was livid. He's like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Something about misusing his childhood. And I was like, man, I kind of liked it. But I was always that guy in Jux. Everybody like, man, fucking, what's fucking pod racing? Fuck Anakin's, what is he doing? Like, how old is Amadon? I'm like, bro, I just enjoyed the movie. The screen lit up and there was fucking lightsabers. I was happy. Stop engines. Fuck that. I can't believe you like that shit. And uh, my obsession with Mike Tyson, L always found comical. They were all obsessed with Steven Seagal. L was obsessed with Sriracha, which we called the God Sauce. This is the year 2001, before Sriracha was popular. So wherever we went out and ate, we would always have Sriracha. If you haven't had Sriracha, it's the clear bottle of hot sauce that is usually at Thai restaurants with a rooster on it and a green cap. Side note, um, my tour manager and great friend, my brother of many years, Jose Joaquin, is Mexican with a Mexican passport and does not like salsa or hot sauce. I have to say that every time that hot sauce or salsa comes up. But yeah, Long Beach represent. Okay, album is getting done. I am traveling all over the world and I will tell the songs and stories, but uh, what did I want for an album cover? I mean, what did I want for an ad campaign? Okay, rapper, it's going to be my album cover. I'm going to be cool and stand on the front. No, sir. No, ma'am. No, them. I was really into a comic book as I said on Merch Rules the World, I read Girl Scouts, Transmetro, and Invisibles. Comics help me focus when it's time to get critical. Hit up the Golden Apple, Alan hooks me with the deal. I read Girl Scouts, Transmetro, and Invisibles. Comics help me focus when it's time to get critical. No dames to call, cause my game's just pitiful. So I sit down and write it, I've seen times tonight. And the session don't stop until I see the first light. Uh. Give it to you 24-7 on the microphone. I had stumbled at the Golden Apple across a comic book called Girl Scouts. I forget. Oh, man, I'm going to have to ask Terry. There's a homie that was hooking me up with comics at Golden Apple. And uh, Girl Scouts was an indie comic, black and white comic, about some girls who sold weed. It was phenomenal. Jim Mahfoud, who would go on to write the felt two comic book, wrote Girl Scouts. I did a show at Nita's Hideaway in Phoenix, where he was living. He's originally from some part of Missouri, not St. Louis, I'll remember soon. Him and Approach and Mac Lethal, all from the same area, I believe. And DJ Food, his brother, DJ Moff, sorry. Um, so Jim Mafu comes up to me. He's like, yo, Bob, thanks for the shout out. I think that's what happened. And we became friends and started, you know, I had never met someone who created comics before. Like, they were all like Greg Capullo, Todd McFarlane, Alan Moore, like these people that would never be at Nita's Hideaway in a hip-hop club. So that's where we met. And I said, I want him to do a Girl Scouts comic <laughs> as my ad and put that in the source. Because when I came up on the source, the thing that sold me on the source, the first course cover source issue I ever had, you can look it up, was the Ice-T New Jack City uh, cover. 
New Jack Hustler cover of The Source. That's early 90s. 91, I believe, 90. So I've been reading the source online. They used to have this thing called Notes from the Underground, which was a comic in the back. And that, when I got to, I saw the magazine with Ice-T and New Jack Hustler had just come out. Hustler, word, I pull the trigger long. Grip my teeth, spray to every nigga's gone. Got my block sewn on my dope spot. Last thing I sweat, so suck a punk cop. Move like a king when I roll high. I was obsessed with Ice-T. OG is in my top five hip-hop albums of all time. It is a perfect album. Original gangster. But Ice-T was everything so L.A. to me. And like of the Easy e thing where he was saying things on record that no one was saying because I was hearing them OG in terms like that in real life. But it took time for albums to come out back then. And there was no social media, so slang was like... Tardy when it finally made it to record, or not Tardy, but wasn't cutting edge. But I felt validated and seen in like our culture. When people say the culture, and we can get into that debate later, there's street culture, there's black culture, and there's hip hop culture and popular culture as well. So there's four different things you could be talking about. Street culture was my, I guess, my first culture. If you're not going to count Christian culture or black culture, but yet like the first like adopted culture was gang culture. And so to see, whenever I saw gang culture correctly represented in mainstream media, I felt validated because we were a subculture in Los Angeles or a less than culture, the, the strongest culture and the most dominant culture, but the least respected. Um, it was illegal. It was so to hear and see OG and somebody in a tank top, my mom does not like the term wife beater, but I'll say that just so you guys understand. But in a tank top and lokes, the glasses with dickies and a beanie on, mad dog. And like, that was, I want to bang on this fucking table. Like, that was the shit. So when I saw him on the cover of The Source, I had to buy that issue. And then back to front to cover, like, and then I got to the back and there was a fucking graffiti comic book. Are you kidding me? Like, I, you know, loosely was in the comics at the time because I would just buy them from 7-Eleven and then the hobby store sometimes when I could afford it. But a hip-hop comic book was so far off at that time. So when I got a budget to pay someone, I want to pay Jim Mafu from Girl Scouts to do a custom Girl Scouts comic. Fuck me wearing LRG or Nietzsche or any Willie Esco or something looking cool. Not those brands. Those are brands I was into. Fat Farm, as much as I loved it, I just wanted a fucking comic book so people could know who I am. I don't even have a copy of it. If you have a copy of it, let me know. And I was five to eight grand. I had it plus to pay Jim to do it. And that's what I did with my budget. I made a comic book. The next thing is I needed to promote it. They wanted to do a sampler. And you know the Def Jux robot voice. If you ever had a, a Def Jux promo, press promo, which were copies of the album sent out so to press and record stores so people would want to order your record and get familiar because we were a lot of new artists, new names to a lot of buyers. Um, shout out to Turtle, random Turtle. I think it was from Tower Records in Seattle who was actually one of the first per people, I think, to want like, go out of his way to like put our records in the store. I know I've been mentioned, I mentioned LA Underground last week. I just want to keep shouting out these people because they were Violet Brown, like just people who took the time to listen to dope hip hop and do something about it in positions of quote unquote power, just in good, in good positions. I don't know if they like to, to be described. I say positions of power. Great dude. But yeah, I was going to be in Tower Records. I was going to be everywhere, but we needed these samplers to get some of the buyers who weren't like Turtle or Violet Brown who were unfamiliar. What did I want to do for my sampler? Well, the first person I ever put me on a mixtape was a DJ from Arizona named Z-Trip. Zach Shaka, my man. I remember being at a park. I feel like it was an after-party jam or something for some B-boy event in San Francisco. I went there to sell tapes in somebody's car. And this guy's like, oh... I have your song Freehand Mental Sketches on my mixtape. And the tape was blue. Imagine that. My first album was a blue tape. The mix, the first mixtape I ever won was a blue tape. You know, cripping. The, the, it's, in, it's, in the, it's, in the, it's in the ether. No, but for real, I was honored just to be on a mixtape. I grew, grew up, we talked about it last week. Mixtapes were huge. I, I started making mixtapes as my first, like, original, real I think genuine creation. I did a little graffiti and I break danced, break the broke danced, b boyed here and there. But making mixtapes 
um, my own mixtapes with records I bought. We'll get to another story about records I bought and didn't mix, but put out, put my voice on mixtapes. Mixtapes introduced me to Company Flow. So now I'm on a mixtape. DJ Z Trip, who's just, this is before he does the mashups and all, like before, this is just a guy making dope hip-hop from Arizona where I already have a little bit of a connection. And I think it's pretty sure with pre-mixtapes. Um, I think it's with the, I forget the name of the crew, uh, Bomb Shelter DJs from Arizona. And I knew that name. And this is my first wax uh, with Elusive, Six Degrees of Separation, and a song called Freehand Mental Sketches, which was on my tape, which is an old episode that we might redo later or you can go join patreon and hear that episode but it, it has all the information about the elusive compilation um, my first time on vinyl elusive is still putting out great instrumentals you gotta check them out on spotify slaps He was doing lo-fi this whole time. Now they call it lo-fi, but man, maybe 35 years in the game. An actual technician when it comes to hip-hop production. I love him and I love his music. Freehand Mental Sketches I did a song for his compilation. It was on the tape back for no good reason. Z-Trip found it and chose that song over an Eli song, over an Aesop song, over a Grouch song. My song. Freehand mental sketches I jot down on canvases of rhythm Reflected images of a broke-down system of things That seems all fucked up Sucked up like negative aspects And spit out dope verses on cassette to make my assets First is making underground rock He mixed it with other rap songs Like I used to do for other rappers It was a moment for me I didn't forget it So when I had to do a sampler I called Z-Trip And this is Z-Trip so had, has now put out at this point, I put out the mashup that he got really big for. I forget what it was called. It's really dope. Heavy metal listening. I don't know. Uneasy listening. I think that was it. You are now listening to DJ Z Trip. Uneasy listening. Volume one. That kind of blew him up. And uh, he had got a record deal at this point. But I asked him to do a distribute, and that sampler was gonna also, I think, be distributed for free in Herb Magazine, like a little zip up, which I grew up reading Herb and passing out a free Herb Magazine to looking in Herb, URB Magazine. I would later on get, I think, like a fake cover, like a exclusive Rock the Bells out cover, it was only, I think, one of the few uh, magazine covers I got in my career. It's not over yet, but magazines are over. Sucks. Let's bring them back. This is an audio magazine. Z Trip does the sampler, and, uh, my mom gets on. I call my mom to do a voicemail. This kind of thing where you have to put the speaker phone to the microphone, and, and she go. He decides to mix my single "God's Work" with Queen. And she goes, I said, Mom, tell them Mercy Z. I'm, I'm, so I'm doing this mixtape with ZJZ Trip. You got to say Mercy Z Trip, all right. And to this day, people go to me. It's sick of my mom. I was like, are you off the wine, Mom? I think she said, oh, yeah, that's the wine talking. That's what she said. Oh, that's the wine talking. Merce and Z Trip will rock you. <laughs> and, uh... Yes, me. I love my mother. I believe that this was, yeah, around, I had to be 23. So my mom and my mom kicked me out, forced me out, uh, whatever. I chose to leave home. She said if I chose to go on tour and not stay in school, I was going to have no place to live. When I got back, it kind of cut me off. And I'm keeping this in mind, my, my son's like, my mom and I would still talk. She still owns and operates cleaners here in South Central where I'm two doors down from. And she had 800 numbers. So I could call that 800 number for anywhere in the world. Uh, for those of you used to have to travel places and have a calling card with a country code, you had to know a whole lot of shit to reach your family. There was no fucking internet. And just to call my mom and let her know I was all right. And uh, we would have, there was just a, 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 a dissonance. Uh, we weren't all the way right. And I believe somewhere around this time, I think it was my 23rd birthday. So maybe right before or after this album 
I was really making a living and I had moved to to whatever. And I just came home and on my 23rd birthday and I took a nap with my mom. She happened to be home. And like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I feel like that was the moment. And from that moment forth, my mom became my biggest supporter um, of my music. Like literally, we hugged. You were you? I, I didn't like. I was at that time. I was coming from Japan, going to Japan, coming to Europe, going to Australia, going to the Bay, going to L.A., going to New York. I was going to Austin. I was going all over the fucking place all the time. So I didn't know which way was up. And just that centering moment, like you know, hanging out, like laying down with my mom and just taking a fucking nap together, like that healed everything. And. We've been right ever since, so I had to have her. After that, you see her at the merch booth. You see my mom everywhere because that is me and my brother and my mom. That's that's the squad, the original gang. And ever since then, we've been, um, she's been ultra supportive of everything I've done. And uh, I try to be the same for her. I can never repay her. She's on the Z Trip intro. That's probably the, the best thing about it. The beat was done for God's work. And we'll talk about the first song because I don't know why I chose this as the first single, but the person that is producing Love and Rockets 3 or Love and Rockets 316, the person I started making mixtapes with at the time was named DJ Sage. He goes by the name of Jesse Shadkin now because that's what his parents, Paul and David, named him. This was my first collaborator, really, in putting out music. I recorded with Eli and Scarab, but we hadn't put anything out together. I had recorded with Anna Crom, but we hadn't really put anything out together. In high school, I don't recall how we met, we became friends. He was into hip-hop. He actually had a turntable, two turntables, Technique 1200s, a four-track, and a house where we could smoke weed because his parents were okay with that. He had a dog named Lucy, which I love, sister named Lily I love. And um, he's the first, I think, as I re re realized it, like the first Jewish person I ever met. Um, Hebrew school on Saturday, so we couldn't record, but his parents would let me stay while he went to Hebrew school and came home. It was a cultural experience. It was an experience in entrepreneurship, musicianship. We're learning all at the same time. He went to NYU. He was two grades behind me, but we're only a year apart, I believe, age-wise. I skipped a grade or something like that, or maybe he's only a year behind. We're the same age. I don't know. But he had gone to New York, to NYU, and he had somehow linked with Vortal and Vast and Nature Sounds Records, and he was doing beats. Now, before we, he would just do this, he would, I would buy the records I would try to line them up and he would try to teach me how to beat match the white guy, quote unquote, and he would have to beat match because his rhythm was better than mine. So as he reminded me as we're recording our last album, that's why I'm recording my last album with my first musical collaborator and it's beautiful and I thank God for that opportunity. Jesse reminded me because he's mixing and putting together records now. Now I have like 12, rough, 12 or 11 rough mixes. We're, we're getting there. And I had to text him the other day, like after hearing one of the mixes he saved, I was like, you, your, your musical gift, bro, still amazes me 30 years later. It's amazing. He's so talented. And uh, he was there in New York. And I, I don't know how we ran into each other because this is also before social media. I knew he was there. And he probably remembers better than I. He was interning at Electric Ladyland. He got to work in Electric Ladyland in the year, in the era of the Soul Quarians. And like D'Angelo Voodoo, Mama's Gun, Erica Badu, like these sessions he was an intern, I believe, in. Soaking up so much game, I believe. But he already had a lot of game. We started slanging mixtapes in high school. And he and you know, would let 3MG record at his house. We would spend the night. We would, this was, we, you know, we and him slept over at Mike Karen's house. We went on to be the, like, uh, the, the president of Atlantic Records. Me and him hanging out with Rob One. Like, we had so many experiences. Um, his good friend and my friend, um, Ariel Rexide, who is now produced for Vampire Weekend, Madonna, U2, I don't know, fucking everywhere, Grammys and shit like that. He was in a punk band called The Hippos. And we had a crew called The Scapper Mob, Skate skate Rapper Mob. We used to watch Girl, like they showed me, um, I had heard about the Souls of Mischief song, I'm Always Misbehaving and Mischievous. Kaboom, the Jedi is back to rock. Like they showed me that in a Plan B Girl video. <laughs> Shots to fling rock and cling clocks. I'm 
I started skating in 86 and kind of fell out of it as like inner city kids stopped skating. And then I met him and his homie Steve and Ariel, and they all skated. And they had a thing called Scapper Mob, and we would go watch skate videos. And I was like, oh shit, rap music is in skate videos. Shook Ones is in a skate video. Nas is in a skate video. There's unreleased Souls of Mischief music in a skate video. I'm back in. So we would go to the courthouse and skate and all these things lead up to me finding my friend. And of course, the first single is God's Work, a beat produced by, goes by belief at the time. I stumbled out of bed, hung over, none sober, like the Joes rushed my body and I was the sole cobra. Still a soldier, grabbed a soda, helped my stomach settle down, then fell into the shower. Um, so I believe like having my mom, having Jesse or belief be a part of this end of the beginning for me was only right. Having Z Trip, who put out my first, uh, put my first song on a mixtape, like all these first, having them be a part of the launch of the end of the beginning is key and fitting and only right. And as I end my career, it's only right that Jesse, Belief, and I got together every Saturday over the past 18 months, every Tuesday and Saturday, and just in had six hour blocks where we recorded two songs every day, twice a week, as many days as we could. On the spot, he'd make the beat, I'd make the rap. We've been working together for 18 months, and it was, weirdly enough, inspired by um, me seeing 40 post about Drake's certified lover boy, his notes. And I knew I was working on my last album. I just didn't know when. And I didn't know what it was going to be or who was going to produce it. And uh, I saw 40 do that. Uh, like his, He posted the notes from Certified Lover Boy and like his whiteboard. I was like, and all this outboard gear. And I was like, I need somebody who cares about my music that much to do this last album. A lot of the albums and collaborations I do, as you'll hear, as we get in, now we're finally going to get into the music in the next, next week. A lot of it's transactional. So... This last album, I did not want to be transactional. I wanted to do with my friend who I know cares. And I said, who do I know that cares about and has access to that much equipment? Because he's gone on to do Chandelier for Sia. Uh, he produced Kelly Clarkson albums. Sia, how, like, when I called him, so I called him and said, man, what are you doing? He's like, man, I just stepped out of a session. I'm with this band called The Head and the Heart. And I was like, cool, man. Are you doing indie rock, doing underground? And he's like, like kind of have like three million monthly listeners. So like he let me know subtly. I now he's never a dick or a braggart, but he does huge things that are outside of the hip hop arena. And so he doesn't really have time, but he made time to do this over the past 18 months. And I'm looking forward to you guys getting to hear it. But right now you get to hear about him doing God's work. Um, what do you know? Okay, I know, I know. And we'll talk about the album cover next week. Um, shot by Dan Monic, who shot felt. One, Felt Two, Felt Three, Felt Four. He also shot Varsity Blues album cover. And uh, he shot 316. And he shot this one, End of the Beginning. Randomly, I was somewhere in OC. I believe some Asian kid approached me or someone or a Latino kid who worked for an Asian man. I think he was Chinese. And he said, my boss makes action figures. He can make an action figure of you. Now, this is before the Trap Toys. This is 2002. And I'm like, okay, come in and get your photo taken. I came in, I did all this thing, and that dude made me a fucking actual Barbie doll. He made me a fucking Ken, a Merce Ken doll, Ken 316 doll. And I just carried it around. He made the jacket. I brought in my Legends jacket. I brought in my LRG pants. I tried to get LRG involved. They were being super cheap, and we'll talk about that later. But those, the jeans are, and I was like, what am I going to do with this? And then... I said, fuck it, I'll use it for my album cover because also I was collecting toys. And this is before rappers talked about collecting, before Shout Out Destroy, before Show Off Your Gems existed, before Kwame was doing the dope shit he's doing with toys. Nobody was into toys. And I put all my toys on that album cover, meticulously set them up on the floor in Dan Monik's house in Silver Lake. And we shot the album cover. My Stone Cold backpack doll, my Silver Hawks that I, shit I collected over in the late 90s before like, like I said, before it was easy to get action action figures in these toys, G.I. Joe's. There's so many little shit. When I used to, you hear B BTS, like some of the Star Wars action figures I stood in line for from episode one, which LP hated. All those are on the album cover because that's me in the end of the beginning and also like reclaiming my childhood because some of those things I couldn't afford or we couldn't afford or I just didn't ask for, I didn't have when I was a kid and I was reclaiming them and I was ending the beginning. And this is what we're going to get into next week. Peace, y'all.
Thanks for listening to the Best Rapper in LA podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is. If you like the show, leave a review on Apple Music or Spotify. And to support the podcast directly, go to patreon.com slash M-U-R-S 316, March 316. See y'all next week. Peace.